Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. I'm actually excited to talk about dedication tonight. If you guys are new, I'm Pastor Daniel, and I get the honor and the privilege of sharing with you guys tonight. And dedication is something we get excited when we get little babies up here to dedicate them to the Lord, but sometimes we forget the power, the wonder, and the cost of dedication. And I started kind of just looking at this and looking at it in the Bible and seeing people in the Bible who were dedicated in, uh, in different ways. Some that from a child, some in their, their adult life chose to dedicate themselves to the Lord, and it does something. It changes something. And I, I begin to look at this and realize that dedication can take you to places that others only dream of. And, and that's one of the reasons that we dedicate our children is because we want our children to have a future that's different than so many. You can look around our world and go, this is what normal is. And we can go, that's what we don't want. You know, like normal right now is a sad statistic. You know, I I want something different. I want something better. I don't want a a child that's messed up. I don't want a a child that has to go through all of these different things. I want them to experience the best that God has to offer. I want them to follow God all the days of their life. I want them to walk boldly and confidently to know who they are in Christ, to not be persuaded by those that are around them. I want them to see God move in the land of the living. I want to see, and there's so many things that we want for them. And we go through and we're going to go, hey, I want to dedicate this because I want to see God move. But when I, when I started looking at this, I thought about people who make it places and the dedication that it requires and the price it requires. Do you realize you have never seen an accidental Olympian? It's not a thing. I mean, we, we, we know, in fact, a lot of you guys have participated in sports at some point in time. And you're like, you could even be called an athlete because you played the sport. And some of you guys are like, athlete's kind of a stretch. And others are like, yes, yes, I earned that title. I had the letter on my jacket, you know, whatever it may be. But I remember just even in high school that there were people who were dedicated and others who were not. There were some who were like, you know what, I'm, I'm listening to the coach and I'm giving up these different things for season. I'm going to eat healthy because I want to to perform at my best. And others who are like, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to have fun. And then there's those who take it to a whole nother level. I've got some friends who are world-class athletes. Like they literally competed in worlds. And they're crazy. And I think they're watching right now. So hello, Stekadies. I love you guys. So they're, they're driving back from Florida right now. So we're on inside the van with all of them. But I was talking to them. I said, tell me a little about your athletic training. Because when most people are like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to work to get in shape. That means I'm going to exercise every now and then. Maybe you're like consistent and you're like, I work out this many times per week. I said, tell me about you guys' workouts. He's like, ah, oh, now, sometimes we'll go so hard that our legs will be so shot, so throbbing, we'll have to take a tub and fill it with ice and then just sit in that ice for like an hour. And you're like, that's weird. 
And I'm like, so what else? What else? And, and he's talking to me and I'm asking him questions. And he's like, yeah, you talk to a lot of these guys. And he switched from, from speed skating into bike racing, um, like pedal bike racing. And talking about it, and he started climbing up through these different brackets and different things and kept ending up on the podium and kept, you know, being right there in the end of all these. And he got asked going like, hey, like, how come you keep winning or being right up there on the podium? And, and he said, well, what do you guys, you know, turns back to the other biker and like, hey, what do you do for training? And the other guy's like, like, I am biking at least three times a week and I'm doing this. And he's like, that's why I'm training six days a week. And I'm, I'm doing not just in my biking six days a week, I am doing intentional training. This day is high um, intensity interval training. This day is speed training. This day is, and he's going through this like whole system. And he's like, he's training six days a week for three to six hours a day. And you're just, the amount of effort that they put in is different. The cost that they're willing to pay is different. And the places that they go is different. And it, it's this thing where that there's actually a correlation between the cost that they're willing to pay and the places that they end up. I, I, I did a, a thing and I was listening to an Olympian um, figure skater and there were, she was telling her story and it was kind of ridiculous. She's like, oh yeah, so we would go to an ice rink until they closed. And then we would drive an hour to a different ice rink until they closed. And then we would drive an hour to a different ice rink until they closed. And that was our routine, X number of days per week, like six days per week, all the time. And you're like, you, you like pulled out of school and were homeschooled in order to go be at the ice rinks at whatever time there was ice available for years because you wanted something because you wanted to go somewhere. And I began to look at this and I came to a shocking realization. If your dedication costs you nothing, you aren't dedicated. And a lot of times we, we don't realize that with, with our faith because it, it's true in so many different areas and you see people who are leisure athletes, they participate as long as it's nice, as long as the weather is perfect, they're gonna go out for a run or for a bike ride. And then you've got these, these guys that are ridiculous who are like, they are dedicated. And you're like, rain, shine, it doesn't matter. And when they feel like they're going to puke, it doesn't matter. When their legs literally, like he's telling me about his legs, not just like cramping when you get lactic acid buildup, but literally depleting them so much of the, was it glycosamine? Whatever, like his muscles being so depleted that they would literally shut down and lock up. And, and he's going through talking about some of this and you're like, you know, I am pretty hardcore, but I am not on the same level. There's a different level of dedication and there's a different rewards that they receive. And, and it, this is true spiritually. This is true with athletes. This is true with stupid things. Have you ever heard of anybody like waiting in line for days for a new phone? be the first one to get the thing or a video game, a Black Friday sale. They're out there and they're like, what are you doing at one in the morning? I'm waiting in line. Why? Because something is going to be on sale. Do you realize if you worked during the day when it was like normal to be awake for the hours that you're waiting in line, you wouldn't have to get it on sale? 
I'm going to get it. And they're dedicated and they're there at three in the morning waiting in line for something that they value. Because when we value something, then we're willing to dedicate ourselves to it. But if we don't value it, we will not dedicate ourselves to it. We will not pay the cost to receive the reward. And I got looking at some people who, who got dedicated, people who chose to dedicate themselves. Because there's some cool stories of, of babies being dedicated, but there's some really practical applications for some people who chose to dedicate themselves along the way. See, in Matthew chapter 4 and, and Luke ch chapter 5, we find the story of Jesus inviting some of his disciples to follow him. And the different the, uh, gospels share different details of this encounter. And sometimes you, you hear it and you, you get this like little bit of like, these guys are crazy. Because if you've never heard this, Jesus is, according to Matthew, Jesus is, says, hey, he's on the beach. These guys have been fishing and they're, they're, they have their nets and he calls them to follow him and they follow him and they leave everything. And you're like, you're weird. Like you have a business and this guy walks up and just goes, hey, follow me. And you do. But Luke includes a few more details and John includes some other ones. John tells us that, that, uh, Peter's brother, Andrew, had seen uh, John the Baptist say, hey, that's the Messiah. That's the one. And he told Peter about it. And then Luke records that Jesus is over there and he's teaching. And when he's teaching, uh, there's a, such a big crowd. He's like, hey, could I step on your boat? Can I teach from your boat? And he gets on the boat. Can you scooch it out just a little bit? All right, now he's like, I can see the crowd. My voice is going to carry over. And he, he speaks to the crowd. And they've been like cleaning their nets and I'm assuming they're cleaning their nets and watching Jesus going, hey, we got front row seats to hear the new speaker. Like everyone else is gathered up, stuck on the beach. We're on the boat with him. This is pretty cool. And they have this respect for him, but there's still some, some wonder. Still some like, I don't know if I'm totally bought into this guy. I know that John the Baptist said good things about him, but, like, but I have enough respect for him to let him get on my boat and to push it out. And then when he finishes... He's like, hey, why don't you put out the nets? He's like, Jesus, that's a bad idea. I have been fishing all night. This is what I do. And it was a horrible night. And we just finished cleaning the nets. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll put them out. This is like, are you sure you really want me to do that? I don't know if you ever had your kids like that. Are you sure you really want me to do that? And he, and he's, but he, he gives this like, are you sure? Gives this one more chance for you to go, oh, okay, if it's a bad idea, don't. You know, just in case Jesus was just wanting to be amused. But Peter's expectation was not that he was about to receive the miracle of a lifetime. And his response shows it. But he's like, all right, at your, nevertheless, at your word. And they throw out the nets. And then he goes to collect them. And there is more fish in the net than what they can handle. And then he calls over his, his partners and he, he hollers over, hey, James, John, come help us. And they fill the boats up with fish. And then in, in verse eight, Peter saw it and he fell down at Jesus' 
fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he, and he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And it goes on, it says, and it talks about them and James and John. And verse 11, it says, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. He goes, you're different. He goes, you can teach good. John can say nice things about you, but I know fish. That was not normal. And, and his response was, I'm sinful. He was to recognize him right there. And then he was to go, I will dedicate everything. His business, I don't know how his business was doing beforehand, but his business was now a roaring success. And, and he just says that he left everything and followed him. That he was willing to exchange all that he had for this. He said, I will give up my business. I will give up my, my, my life to follow you. And he began to follow. And then James and John begin to follow. And then you see him call Matthew and Matthew just drops it. And I don't know all that Matthew had seen, but he's sitting there in this tax collecting booth and he'd been hearing things about Jesus. And, and when Jesus called him, he dropped it all to follow him. And I, I began to look at these guys who left everything. And this thing that they had in common was when they saw him, when they got this invitation, they left everything in their dedication to him. They were willing to leave everything else behind. But I had a conversation with Tim on Wednesday going, how many people did Jesus call who weren't willing to let everything go? And we, we often read about and think about these ones who did. We think about these people who dedicated everything, who let go of whatever it was that they had in order to follow Jesus. But the Bible actually talks about there was people who Jesus invited who said, you know what? That's kind of harsh. Like, I'm kind of busy. I got a family. I, I got a business. And in fact, it, it talks about one rich young man who comes to Jesus and is like, Jesus, like, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And he comes to him. In fact, he calls him Lord. And, and, he, and he calls him, he addresses him and Jesus, or he calls him good master. And, and Jesus addresses him and tries to even bring it out that you're recognizing me as something. Or is, is it worth it? And the guy's, goes through. He's like, well, I've done everything. Like, what do I else do I have to do? And Jesus like, have you followed the commandments? He's like, I've followed all the commandments. And Jesus looks back and goes, but one thing you lack. Go sell your possessions and come follow me. And he gets the invitation to follow the Lord God Almighty. And his response was he went away sad because he had great stuff or because great stuff had him. And he looked and goes, well, I don't know that I'm that dedicated. I don't know that I'm willing to pay that price. I don't know that I'm willing to give up what I have to follow you. I don't know that I'm willing to make this trade, to make this exchange. And I looked and there was another who, who Jesus said, come and follow me. He goes, yeah, but let, hold on. Like, let me like, take care of my dad until he dies. Let me, let me bury my dad. And, and Jesus' response was, let the dead bury the dead. 
That's kind of harsh. Except, and I, I've heard other people teach it through who are more historical than I and go through going, his dad wasn't even dead yet. This was a let me take care of them. And then when I get all my stuff taken care of, then I'll follow you. Jesus is like, this is your chance. Now's your time. Come follow me. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I got looking at this and I got thinking about this, this idea of, of really of laying it all down, of, of handing over control. And do you realize that handing over control is scary? It's difficult. Okay, my kids struggle to hand over the remote control. Like there is battles for the remote control. And then there's frustration when you go to find the remote and you can't find it because someone was afraid to give it up so they left the living room with the remote control. I caught one of them in the basement the other day with remote control for the TV upstairs. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and you're like, go put that upstairs. But, but they are frustrated, but he didn't want to lose control. And if he set it down, somebody else might take it. And there's this, this idea that just, that control is hard to let go. And I harassed my children with the remote, but I realized I struggle to let go of control. I don't think I'm the only one. Does anybody else use navigation on their phone? Does anyone else ignore the navigation on their phone that they're using? Yep. Yes! I chose to, to tell it. Like, hey, here's where I want you to take me. And then it gives me directions. I'm like, that's stupid. I'm going this way. <laughs> like, because I don't trust it. I'm like, I swear that the thing's getting paid to bring me past businesses and stoplights. Like, I'm like, it refuses to acknowledge that 64th Street exists. And it wants to take me down. I'm like, I don't want to go through five lights and past all those businesses. I want to go the easy way. I don't trust it. I refuse to give up complete control unless I absolutely have to when I'm somewhere where I know nothing about that location. But, but I, I got looking and thinking about how easy or how difficult it can be. In fact, I discovered in college how much I like to be in control. Like, I didn't realize, have you ever ridden, like, you've all ridden with somebody else. Does that ever, like, mess with you? Okay, it, I am a good passenger, most of the time, um, and I can let you drive, even if you're a little bit more aggressive than me or not as aggressive as me, I, I can like suck that up. And I didn't realize that I had not released control of the vehicle and what was happening until I went to college. I went to college in Australia and they drive on the other side of the road. And you think that you get over it pretty quick, but you have deceived yourself because you're riding with somebody and they go to make a turn. And this is where it like messes with you because in your head, if you're making a right-hand turn, you hug the right side of the road. And if there's a car like in the middle who's gonna make a turn, like you go this way. And then they go and make the turn and they go around the outside and you're all like this early or like you like move your body because you're like in control and then they do the wrong thing and you're like, what's going on? Because you mentally are still wanting to like map it out, know what's happening and like govern what's happening and be prepped for it all. Or maybe that's just me. But, but as I begin to realize that part of this struggle is trust. When if I don't value 
I'm going to have a problem. And if I don't trust that the one that I'm handing control over is smarter than me or wants the best for me or they love me, then I'm going to struggle to hand over control. And I think this is where we don't admit, but this is where a lot of people struggle to hand over control to God. When we, we, when we were just to look at it, we would go, you know what? I theologically understand the concept that God is smarter than me. If not, we have a big problem. But we often go, well, I know that the Bible says, but. I know the Bible says that I should forgive, but. I know the Bible says that I should tithe, but. I know the Bible says I shouldn't gossip, but. I know the Bible says I got to choose my friends carefully, but I really like them. And we come up with these different excuses and we think, yeah, what God said should apply in all of these other situations, but right now, mm, I don't know. But let me show you something. God Okay, Isaiah 55, verse 9, or verse 11, says that his ways are higher than your ways, it's, as the heavens are higher than the earth. God is smarter than me. God is smarter than you. This is a very important theological foundation. God loves you. And if you can understand that, that begins to set some things free. But this exchange for us to understand that God initiated the exchange. And before we even have to think about whether or not I'm going to dedicate my life to him, he was willing to dedicate his life for me. In fact, he was willing to pay the price for a dedicated relationship long before me. In fact, 1 John chapter 4.19 says that we love because he first loved us. I don't know if you ever like see young people and they're like trying to decide who's going to say something first, who's going to put their cards on the table. They're like trying to half flirt to see if the other person responds to see if it's safe to like put their emotions on the line. God's like, forget this. I love you. Straight up. Like he just, I, there's, no, there's no waiting. I'm going to show you. I'm going to initiate. In fact, I am willing to pay the price. This week, we celebrate Palm Sunday. And if, if you're new to church, that, that what we're celebrating is this is the week that Jesus came into Jerusalem where he was celebrated right before he was crucified. This massive flip, but where he said, I'm coming in and I'm coming in on purpose and I'm coming in knowing where I'm going. Pastor Duane talked a bit about it this morning as he went into the garden and he began to pray. And he began to say, not my will, but your will be done. If there's any other way, I don't want to do this. But not my will, but yours be done. And he began to, to battle with this desire for his own way, this desire to avoid the pain, this desire for the easier way. But he said, no, no, no. But not my will, but yours be done. And the Bible actually gives us the secret to how he did it. See, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse, verse 1 Sorry, verse two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He goes, I looked and I saw what I valued. And I was dedicated enough to pay the price for the thing that I valued. 
The thing that he valued that he was willing to pay the price for was us. And he was willing to pay this and he goes, I love you. And, and, and he, he, he pursues this. In fact, it becomes the great exchange that he laid his life down for you. In, in Romans, it, it talks about this and says that we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we should walk in newness of life. He goes, he gave his life for you so that we can live a new life, a different life. And it, and it goes through in 1 Corinthians 6, Verse 20 says that we were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And it begins to lay this out that there was an exchange, that God said, I am willing to give my life for your life. I'm willing to give you my righteousness. I'm willing to take all of your messed up sin. I'm willing to take all of your brokenness and to give you my healing. I'm willing to give you a different life. But it's an exchange. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And it's this, this exchange, this, this change where he goes, I'm willing to give everything for you. And when we know that, it can begin to change who we are and what we live for. Because I can be dedicated to something I value. I can be dedicated to something that I went to someone who I know values me. Someone who wants the best for me. And our lives are changed. See, because following Jesus sometimes is easy. And then there's the rest of the time. And like, I, I look at the disciples and, and like, there's some of this, they, they thought this was it. Like, this is going to be amazing. I am following the next political leader. I'm going to be positioned with him. This is going to be awesome. And I'm getting to see miracles like firsthand while there's a big crowd. I'm up close. I'm getting to see Jesus heal people, spit on people's eyes and then have them see, seeing like limped, limped, like messed up arms straightened out. And, and he's, they're seeing all of these cool things. And you're like, that would be awesome. But what about when the crowd comes to kill him? And you're standing there. Uh, and uh, one of the pastor mentioned <clears throat> the crowd that came to get him was not a peasley little crowd with pitchforks and shovels. Like it was a group of soldiers, around 600 of them. How about now? That's some, like going to bring it to question. And even in that, Peter was willing to die in his commitment to Jesus until he didn't understand. When Jesus told him to put away his sword, all of a sudden, all of his expectations and his understanding begin to shatter. Until Jesus rose from the dead. And after that, nothing would shatter it. And he was willing to lay down his life for it. And I began to look at this going, okay, so what about, what about for us? What about when the world is pressuring us to adopt the world's philosophy? What about when your job hinges on telling a lie? Or when there's relationships that the Bible would say you should cut off? What about when following Jesus affects what entertainment you can allow into your life? What about when others think you're crazy for trying to do it God's way? 
What about tithing, gossiping, sexual integrity, forgiving? See, because the world's got a system. And if I am dedicating my life to following Jesus, it means that I don't get to drive anymore. It means I am giving up my ability to choose wherever I feel like going. Anyone ever like have someone follow them in the car? Anyone have to follow someone else in the car? Following someone in the car is frustrating because A, you're trying to time lights to, to like stay with them and that's a thing. And you're like, you just ran a yellow. And I'm like, anyways. But while you're doing this, you have complete control of your car, but you have given over direction to where you're going. And some of you have followed someone until you got really frustrated and you're like, that's it, phone, where are we going? And you're like, that's it, I'm not following them anymore. But when we're following him, when we dedicate our life to him, we're saying, God, it doesn't matter if I understand. God, it doesn't matter if it's hard. I am dedicating my life to you and I believe that you loved me first. I believe that you're smarter than me. And if we will do that, it will guide us differently. There are so many times that we end up in a mess because we look and go, well, I know that God says, but. I've got 16 screws and two metal plates in my right foot because God knows best, but. There was, there was just a simple rule that was in place, and the Bible told me to honor the authority in that place, but I thought, you know what? I got a better idea. See, I went rock climbing, and my belayer didn't show up, but I thought, you know what? Two mats equal one friend. <laughs> so I will just pile up some mats, and then if I fall, I fall on the mats, I'll be fine. Now, that was not specified in the rules. And if I was to look at this and go, well, what does God say? I would have looked at you and said, okay, he says I should obey them. Well, but, but, but it's going to be okay. They just want to protect me. I'm protecting myself. I got two mats. I'm going to be okay. And I thought, yeah, God's got a plan, but I got an idea. <laughs> that idea ended up with a 25-foot fall. One foot hit mats. One foot hit floor. That one got put back together by a doctor. And it's true there. But I also had a couple who came in and said, we need help. Or she said, we need help. He says, I don't want help. I want a divorce. And I, and I begin to talk to him and he's like, this marriage isn't worth fighting for. And I, I just sat down and said, all right, well, are you a Christian? Yeah. Okay. What does God say about your marriage? Um, I don't know. Okay, we'll look over here. God says that God hates divorce. Okay, well, well God doesn't really want me to get divorced. But she doesn't! Okay. What does God say? Well, God says this. All right. And then he goes on his butt. It's all right. Well, who is smarter? You or God? God. And then he goes through going, okay, well, but, but, sorry, do you believe that God loves you? Well, yes. Okay. 
Is God smarter than you? Yes. And so we went around this like, I don't know how many times, but we went around in circles. And finally he left. He's like, okay, fine. But only for God. Fine. And then I see him like two weeks later. They're back. I'm like, how's it going? It's horrible. Has it gotten any better? Well, a little bit. All right. So there was like some glimmers. Yeah, but it still stinks. She's still a lot. I'm like, all right. What does God say? He hates divorce. Yeah. All right. So what does he say you should do? Uh, like maybe forgive her? And we went around in circles. And I'm trying to remember how many times they came back. There was a couple of times where he came back going, I don't know that this is worth fighting for. It got better for a little bit. And then we hit bumps in the road. I'm like, you're improving. And anyways, I was cheering them on and coaching them along the way, but just reminding them, are you smarter? Or is God smarter? Who is driving? And then a few months later, I got a card in the mail from them with a big smiley face and a gift card. And it was just the coolest thing is they were crashing in their marriage until they said, fine, God can drive, but I don't like where he's going. Like, yeah, but is is he Lord? Because Lord means master. And if we will dedicate ourselves to him, that means we choose that he gets to drive. As a Christian, the cost of dedication is surrender. It's saying, God, as a Christian, I dedicate my life to you. I surrender my life to you. God, you can drive. And if that affects my friends, so be it. If that affects my wallet, so be it. If that affects my marriage, so be it. If that affects my relationships, anything, so be it. If that means I have to apologize, I'm going to get good at it. Because God, you get to drive. And when we do, this is what's cool. We get where God wants to take us. Most of the time when we drive, we don't even get to where we wanted to take us. And when we give him control, then he can set the destination and he knows how to get there. And as, as, as I look, it's a, it's a challenge for all of us to look and to go, all right, have I given God control? Have I dedicated my life? Am I willing to pay the price to follow him? And we, we, we lined up our children and said, we want them to follow him. Are we? And if you're here and say, you know what? I have not. I am not. If you're like, I did back in like res kids, kids camp. I said I'd follow Jesus and I have not. Today, you can be right with God. You can go, God, today I choose to dedicate my life to following you. Because God's invitation is open to you no matter how many mistakes that you've made. Can I get everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes? If you're here and you say, today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to surrender 
and dedicate my life to him, to know that I'm right with God and I'm on my way to heaven, when I say three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Go ahead and say, that's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Awesome. I see your hand and your hand and your hand. Who else says, that's me? Anyone else? Awesome. All right, we're going to say a simple prayer. This is where it starts. God says, whoever calls on his name will be saved. So we're going to call on his name. We're going to follow his directions. So whether you raised your hand or you've done that before, go ahead and repeat this with me. Say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. Thank you for washing my sins away. I believe that you died and rose again. Today, I choose to follow you from this day forward. And I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.